It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Odyssey Sports presents Big Time Baseball with MLB insider John Heyman and former Major Leaguer Tony Gwynn Jr. All right, everyone. Uh, well, welcome to Big Time Baseball, uh, the best podcast going. And uh, we have, of course, Tony Gwynn Jr., my partner, and we have a very, very special guest, uh, Daryl Strawberry, uh, hero of the Mets, 1986 World Championship team, and uh, of the Yankees. I think he has, I think he might have four rings. I don't know. I didn't count up, but I think he's got four. Is that right, Daryl? Four World Series rings. Pretty four. good. And I, yeah, not bad. Not too many guys have four World Series rings. And uh, he's got 335 career home runs, 860, for people who love the newer stats, 862 OPS, 138 OPS plus. That means he was a pretty damn good all-around hitter. So uh, people may just think of him as a slugger, but 138 OPS plus, uh, the guy was a terrific hitter. And one of the great success stories, who was a number one pick overall out of Los Angeles, I think was Crenshaw High School. He lived in the inner city in Los Angeles, came to New York, went back to L.A., came back to New York and uh, succeeded both times He's in New York. So welcome to the podcast, Daryl. It's great to have you. Well, thanks for having me, guys. I really appreciate you guys reaching out and just allowing me to join you guys on your podcast. Well, we just saw the 30 for 30 uh, once upon a time in Queens. Not sure who came up with the title, but uh, I enjoyed it. I loved uh, I loved it. Uh, it was terrific. I personally, my one quibble is instead of all those egghead pontificating guys who weren't there, they should have had Bob Clappish and Tom Verducci be those guys. They were there. They lived it with you. They witnessed it firsthand. I thought you guys were fantastic. Uh, Doc was great. Keith was great. Ray Knight was great. You were fabulous. So I thought you guys did a, a terrific job with it. Very honest. The first thing I should ask you is, I mean, we knew it was kind of a, a wild and fun team who enjoyed winning above all else, but enjoyed having uh, fun. Uh, you know, in the in the um, special, the 30 for 30 on ESPN, uh, it seemed even wilder than I would have thought. Uh, did they overdo it, Daryl? Is that the way it really was? I, I mean, you were there. You lived it. That's the way it was. Um, <laughs> I, I can sit here and tell you it, it was no different way than that. Um, we were a group of guys who knew that we wanted to win. And I think 84 and 85 was really uh, important to us to be able to lose to the Cubs and then be able to lose to the Cardinals and then to come in back in 86 and just Davey said, we're going to win it all. And, 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 and we just put the pieces together, you know, that, that was a very special group of guys. Uh, I wouldn't want to play with anybody else, but those guys at that time, because the eighties were different. It wasn't like the nineties. It wasn't like baseball is now. Uh, it was really 
fun. You know, it was, it was intense. Uh, it was a lot of fighting going on. A lot of people hated us. We had a lot of swagger, <laughs> you know, they, they hated the curtain calls. They hated kid. You know, they thought kid was a joke, but you know, Gary, <laughs> Gary Carter was the piece to us being able to get over the hump because we need a catch. We needed a catcher that can handle a pitching staff and could control a pitching staff. And he came in and he did a phenomenal job with that. I know Keith was a great captain on the field and, and doing everything, but without, Without a catcher, uh, I don't know if we would have ever got there in that right-hand bat in our lineup. So, I mean, we were a wild team, you know, and like I said, the 80s were different, and it was wide open in New York City. Darrell, a lot of focus is always put on what was going on, you know, outside of, of baseball, but there has to be some semblance of, of some serious seriousness in order to be that good. I mean, you guys were obviously talented, but – I would guess that once you guys got to the yard, it was all about uh, beating whoever you guys had in front of you that day. It was all about business once we got to the yard. We can get into fights and inside (laughs) clubhouse, you know, and and back and forth at each other. But I tell you what, the thing I loved about us is once we got between the lines, it was over. You know, we, we turned on a different mindset you know we were a different group of guys we had a personality about winning we hated teams we didn't like them and we wanted to make sure we shoved it right down their throat and <laughs> and, and i think a lot i think a lot of people don't understand the way baseball was back in the 80s and because a lot of people didn't get to see it so you know they see it now and they see it so different uh you had guys that could do everything see the thing i like about back then you had guys that knew their role. You know, you had guys like Lenny and Wally that knew how to get on base. They wasn't going to hit 220. I could tell you that right now. They was <laughs> going to hit 290, 300, and they were going to do the little things. And then you had guys in the middle of the order that knew how to play. You had guys like Keith. He was going to be a 300 hitter. Carter was going to hit well, hit with power. And myself, Ray Knight, you know, all our all the guys knew who we were. I mean, I was, I was only 24 in 86. So people don't realize that. So I, I was I had raw talent, but I still had a lot to learn about the game, you know. And I think you know people thought, well, you're gonna be a star now, and you should be able to do everything. And I really wasn't able to do everything, you know. I had to go through some real challenging times. I had a lot of issues, a lot of struggles. I was broken inside, and I was just a baseball player at that time. And I had a lot of growing up to do in my life. And along the way, I would eventually grow, but I still never got well. But I still had you know, so much to learn about myself. And I was all, I, I tell you, the thing I was grateful for was we had veteran players like Hernandez, Carter, and Ray Knight. That really helped the young players. And plus Mookie Wilson. Mookie was solid. Mookie was calm as ever. Mookie never got into anything. He never said anything, but he knew we had a wild bunch. He wouldn't ride on the bus where the wild bunch was, him, him and Carter. They would <laughs> ride on they would ride on the other bus. <laughs> Because what a wild bunch was, it was crazy on those on those road trips and when we were going into the next city because we were loud, we were drinking, we were partying. We just we had a swagger about us, what we were going to do. And we were just going to go into town. We were going to kick their behind. We are going to take their <laughs> women and drink their alcohol. You know, so it was just like <laughs> <laughs> it was it, it was a saying that was just it, it was and we. We meant exactly what we said. We just we realized that we were that good to be able to play. Yeah, I, it's hard for me because I really knew you more with the Yankees than the Mets. I wasn't there for the Mets, 
And you're like the nicest guy. I remember one year I was out for like six weeks with a back injury and who would notice? No, play, no players would notice. And you were the one guy who actually came up to me. How are you feeling? Are you okay? I'm sure you don't remember it, but I, I'll never forget. I mean, deep down, you're the nicest guy I think I've ever covered. Where did you work up this hatred? I mean, does it come? I mean, looking at all the characters, did Lenny inspire the hatred? I'm trying to figure it out. Where did it come from? No. I, I mean, Doc was a nice guy, but I, when I knew him, he still had some drug problems, so he would lie a little bit. You were always very honest. Uh, you know, Keith, I love dealing with Keith. I don't know. I'm, guess, I'm guessing it's Lenny. I don't know. Why, where's the hatred coming from? How did you work up the hate? And did you have that hate for, I mean, Houston, Boston, you ended up beating both of them when you were really in rough shape on both. Did you hate those two teams too? And did that help you there or what? I, I think we had the hatred from the fact that we lost uh, in 84 against the Cubs. We were right there knocking at the door after 83, after Davey took over. And Doc was went going to win rookie of the year. And I think 85, when we lost to the Cardinals, that's where our hatred came from because we didn't have love for the Cardinals. We could not stand the Cardinals, you know, and it was a big rivalry between us, you know, and them uh, because they were a team that didn't have power, but they had speedsters like, you know, Ozzie Smith, Tommy Herr, Vince Coleman, uh, Willie McGee. We love Willie, you know, Willie was the nicest guy. So we, we kind of loved him, but, <laughs> but the rest of, but the rest of them, we just really couldn't stand, you know, and we built that up you know, after losing to them in 85. And I just remember seeing some of the scenery of that in, in, in that in that film of us losing in 1985 and walking out of that dugout and knowing that we lost to the Cardinals and, you know, coming back into spring training, we just built up inside of us that, you know, we just didn't like these teams, you know, and we just needed to, we, we just needed to stomp on them and put our foot on top of them. And like you said, we, you know, we got tired of teams stomp, you know, stomping on us and it was, we wasn't going to let you put your foot in our mouth anymore. We were going to put our foot in your mouth. And, and that's what it came back to 86. And man, we had so many guys that love to fight, you know, and it, I, <laughs> that's, that was part of baseball back then. If you got drilled yeah. in, in situations and you didn't feel like, you know, you should be getting drilled, man, we was going to fight, man. And it was just, a, you know, it was just a kind of group of guys we had. It, it had nothing to do with, just Lenny, it had to do with the whole group of guys. Kevin Mitchell, Kevin Mitchell was bad. If we got in the middle of a fight, Mitch would be somewhere. <laughs> Mitch, Mitch would be somewhere trying to kill somebody, you know, and that's just that's just what it was a part of our team. You know, we we didn't like the other teams because, I, like I said before, they thought we were thinking we were hot stuff. But in reality was, guys, we were really good, you know, that year. And we, we started off slow and everybody thought, well, yeah, like they're going to really have a great season. And then we just took off and we just ran away with the National League East. And we just knew at that time that we, we had that in front of us and we had more in front of us once we got into the playoffs. Dale, talk about that, that 84 and 85 season. What was it that you guys were missing in 84 and 85 uh, that you guys figured out in 86 that got you guys – over the hunt. I think in 84, we missed a guy like Carter in the lineup, you know, a catcher. Like I said, we had a, I think we had Fitzgerald that was our catcher and, and, but he was a good catcher, but he wasn't a guy that we needed. Like in the, we needed more of a guy in the offensive side too. 
with a right-hand bat. I think that's what we were missing, a big right-hand bat in the lineup that was a threat in 84, and we lost to the Cubs. I think the only way the Cubs beat us in 84 because Rick Sutcliffe came over and went 16-1. and Yeah, That's the yeah. only way they beat us, you know, because yeah. we had them if we – if it wasn't for him coming over and going 16 and one for them, we would have won the division. I think a lot of people uh, don't understand. We were winning 90 to 95 games a year, you know, uh, uh, starting from the 84, I believe. And then 85, we came in, we fell short against the Cardinals. Uh, they just had a better run. I think the Cardinals had a better run than we did down the stretch. And I think well, we, we realized that we blew a lot of games that we should have won. And we would have been in first place. And we put ourselves in a situation where we had to go into St. Louis and we yeah. had to go, we had to sweep them. And, and we didn't, we won the first two, I believe, but we didn't, we lost the last game, I think. And it was just, it was just a heartbreaking to us. And, and we just knew coming back into the 86 spring training, there was a fresh look about us, a fresh attitude about all of us, because we had all the pieces in place and now it was time you know, to put it together. It was no more time to talk about it. It was a time to actually just go out and do it. And I think, I think what happened in 86 with our team was we knew how to come back. And we, a lot of games we can be down in and we, the other team be over to high five and like they, they didn't want a game. It's like, man, this ain't nothing. <laughs> this is, it's only the fourth, it's only the fourth inning, you know, and we like, <laughs> are they kidding kidding us and we just like let's just turn it on them guys and and we would just turn it on we just knew how to come back and I think that's what magical was about that team it wasn't just like when we came back in the playoffs we, we had to come back in in the playoffs all the time against the Astros we had to come back against Ryan Nepper we had to come back against those guys they were up we had to come back and we had a group of guys that knew how to come back that year in 86 and I think that's really what got us over the hump yeah, I think, you know what, your instincts, I think, were right on the 85 Cardinals. I, I was working on a little paper in uh, Illinois, and the Cardinals were the, were one of the teams that we covered. And uh, there were some guys on the team that weren't so nice. I don't know if you knew them or you just hated them by instinct, but, I mean, uh, you know, Vince Coleman, uh, John Tudor, they, they weren't such nice guys. So maybe you had good instincts there. At least that's, that's what I got out of it anyway. Um, talking about the comebacks, though, I mean, incredible. Houston, uh, what, what's your recollection of Houston and also of Boston coming back and winning against Boston? Houston, it's, it felt like to me that uh, from watching the 30 for 30 that, you know, there were guys on that team that just felt that Scott was not going to be beaten for whatever reason. I guess you all felt he was cheating. Whatever it was, he was not really beatable. And you needed to win that game six, which is one of the greatest games of all time. And then, of course, the game six of the World Series is the most remembered game of all time. And uh, just incredible. I mean, I think uh, Keith said he was in the Davies office. He had, you know, I don't want to say given up, but he, he didn't want to be part of these. See the celebration of the Red Sox on your field. Where, where were you at that time? Were you watching it? Did you think you had a chance? Uh I mean, I know you guys are good at comebacks, but two outs, down, a couple runs, uh, nobody on base, um, get all those string, all those singles. It's not an easy way to do it, and you guys did do it. Well, what I love about our guys is uh, they never gave up. And, and, and during the playoffs, we never gave up. And, yeah, of course, we knew we wasn't going to beat, beat Scott. He, he just had a phenomenal year. And 
whatever he was. I mean, his ball was moving so much. You know, we wouldn't go hit it if we had two bats. <laughs> so it, it didn't matter. You know, we just didn't want, we just didn't want to go through that drill again and have to having to face him. And you know, uh, we just knew that we had to beat somebody. We had to beat Nolan and uh, one of the other guys. And you know, we got Nolan in a situation where he was beating us, and I hit that home run to tie the game, and yeah. we go on to win that game. And, and that that was just a reminder of how good we were to be able to come back and in ball games if we stayed close enough. Uh, when you had a pitcher that was dominating on the mound like Scott, there was no way it was impossible for us to get him. He was all in our head, and we knew it. We all was looking at the balls, and we sitting there thinking, how can this guy beat us? You know, because we knew we were so good, and we just knew that we were going to have to fight, and we were going to have to play through it. And Davey did the total opposite in Houston when he gambled when we were down and brought Lenny in the pinch hit, and Lenny hit a triple. Yeah. And that got us going, you know, it, it, uh, left-hander against left-hander. And, you know, and that's what I love about Davey. Davey was just total opposite about a lot of things that people didn't like as a manager, but he did. But he did them well, and he allowed us to be us. And and, and we were so feist, uh, so uh, such a team that wasn't, wasn't afraid to fail. And we fought through, you know, we fought through those things that we needed to fight through. And I think in that situation, when Lenny got us going back in that game, we realized right there that was a start to get going. And we just went from there, you know. And, and then you get into you get into the series. We go into that and we go we go down 0-2, you know. And what did David do again? Our first, we, we go to Boston and we're supposed to have a workout. He says, screw the workout. <laughs> <laughs> we ain't having no workout. He says, it's an off day for everybody. And we were like, yes, because we had needed off there because we were really drained from after playing in the Astro series. And we needed a break and we needed a break from baseball from mentally for that part. And we took that part off and then we came back and we had some big games. Carter gave us Carter. Lenny started off with a home run, but Carter gave us the big lift in, in that series up there in Boston. And we knew from there, once we got back in it, we felt like we had a chance. And then when we got to game six, you know, and we were sitting there with two outs and we were like, man, we didn't blew this, man. This whole year, this this, <laughs> this great, just thinking this great year, Keith was in Davey's office. I was in there. He was in there with, I, I think, Gerald Johnson. And he, he was just having a beer, you know, and just like sitting there. Then all of a sudden the game starts to unfold. You know, two outs, Carter gets a hit. Mitch gets a hit. Ray gets a hit. Keith goes, I'm not going anywhere. We're staying in here. We just stay right where we at. <laughs> And then the, the game just unfolded from there. You know, he, everybody blames Billy Buckner for not making the play. I don't blame him trying to beat Mookie to the back. But what they don't blame is Calvin Sherardi. And I saw him in the field, and he was griping about, you know, oh, it's just baseball. He couldn't get nobody out, and Stanley <laughs> couldn't get nobody out. So, you know, you can't blame Billy Buckner for a play where, you know, you couldn't get nobody out because all you had to do is get one out. But – the game is not over until it's over, and that's for real when you understand sports. It's, you know, it's that last second that has to uh, click on the clock for football and basketball, but in baseball, you got to get that last out, and they did not get that last out. Darrell, throughout your career, who was the one teammate that you think helped you grow as a, as a player and, uh, and just as a professional? Well, I, I, I would say Carter was the player, you know, that, you know, helped helped me grow wanting to understand what it is to be a man. I think that part from watching him because he was so happy and he was so real 
and he was he was a great player. But the player that make you made me grow more in anything as a player was Hernandez, you know, because he has such a high IQ about the game, about facing left-hand pitching and, and being able to know the difference of getting up in the box when a guy is throwing, you know, more off-speed pitches and getting back deep in a box when a guy's got a great fastball so you can let the ball get deeper in on you. So those things were very, um, very important to understand, you know, when you're a young player and you learn to develop that. I didn't master it in like that th th those short years, but I came along when I got – in the later years of my career, I mastered that kind of stuff. And it was, it made me a very successful baseball player because of learning that from him. So those two guys were like really important key people in my life. When I was starting off my career, I think for all the young players that were on that team, you know, to be able to say that, I know a guys, a lot of guys look at camera, you know, Carter and say he was a camera. He loves the camera. He loves to smile. But I wish I could smile like he did and was free. Like he was, he, it was just something. <laughs> Hey, it was just something special about it, you know, and I think a lot of guys didn't understand that this guy was one of the most happy, complete players I ever seen in my entire career watching a baseball player. That was interesting to hear you say that. People thought that was phony, but that was him. You were there and you saw it, so you knew what he was like. Um, I thought it was interesting also, uh, you know, people will recall that you had that fight with Keith, so they might not realize the respect that you obviously had for Keith as well. So I wanted you to touch on that too, but there were a couple things in the 30 for 30 thing that really interested me, uh, and I wanted you to – I know you're an introspective guy and you look back and different things – uh, one one time you you said uh, you should have listened to your mother. Uh, you had a great career. Uh, what what do you expound on that a bit? Why why do you why should you have listened to your mother? Uh, I know you had fun too. Maybe you, you feel like you could have limited the fun a little bit. I don't know what that meant, but should have listened to your mother. And the other thing was, I think you were walking with your mother somewhere in Midtown at some point, and you uh, they, at least they said that you saw a poor or homeless person. And you, you kind of said to yourself, you know, I wouldn't mind being that person. The expectations were so, I mean, you were a number one pick, big guy. Everyone expected everything. How much did that weigh on you? Did you really say you wish you could have been that homeless person? And you really feel that? Well, I, I, I probably went a little too far on that. I mean, I probably felt that way, you know, far as, you know, with my mother and everything. Yeah. Being, in, being in New York and being a young player and, and, and having the expectations that I had at such an early age and the pressure of playing and performing. And I just really thought it was baseball and I didn't sign up for all of that. You know, I signed up to be a baseball player and I didn't realize it would be so much pressure to play. And, and my mother was the most beautiful person that I've ever met in my life. She raised five of us by herself. See what people don't understand. I didn't have a wow. father in the home. You know, my father rejected us and he was an alcoholic and he beat us and he left us and, you know, said we'd never amount to nothing. And, you know, he came home and pulled out a shotgun when I was 14 years old for the last oh, time. So he was going to kill the whole family. And me and my brothers went into action. And had it not been for my mother getting us out of the house, we would have killed him that night. You know, and I think most people don't. All they see is you you putting on the uniform and you should be able to excel because you have talent. They don't realize that my pain was deep. My pain led me to my greatness. And my greatness would eventually lead me to my destructive behavior. And it would play out in my life, you know, and my mother, uh, her points were she was a good, strong Christian woman. Her points was leave the girls alone and stop drinking alcohol. That's what, you know, I should have listened to her. And, you know, I, I think every kid can look back on his life and say, mom, always try to tell you what's right and what to do and make the right decisions. And then it's 
really up to you to make those decisions. See, I made the decision. I didn't listen to her. I made a decision to live a heathen lifestyle and chase women and use drugs and drink and, and, and play baseball. I didn't realize how good I was, guys, when I was playing, when I was young. And, and at the time of my career, those days, 84, 85, 86, 87, those years, 88, none of them. I didn't realize how good of a player I was because I was never focused on the fact how good of a player I was. I was focused on the fact that I just go out and play and we win. And that's all that really matters. And I think when you're young, you don't really understand all that. You just think this is going to last forever. And you realize one day nothing lasts forever, not even us. Daryl, you, uh, you played for some pretty historic uh, organizations. I mean, obviously, you played for the Mets, played for the Dodgers, played for the Yankees. Um, is there a favorite? Was there a favorite stop? Well, I think they all were favorite stops. You know, people are always saying, you know, L.A., you know, I said things, you know, towards the Dodgers. Not towards the Dodgers. I'm born and raised in L.A. I grew up a Dodger fan. You know, people don't understand that. I'm, I, I say personally, it was my biggest mistake for me to leave New York, you know, at the time of my young career and the years I was having playing in New York. It was a different atmosphere for me playing baseball there because when you play in New York, Fans come early and they never leave until it's over. And when you're playing in New York and I was just saying the difference of the fans when I was playing back in those days, fans in L.A., they come late and they leave early because guess what? They, that town of L.A. is all about the Lakers, you know, and there was about the Dodgers now, but it was all about the Lakers back in the days when I were playing in L.A. And most people don't understand that. And, you know, they, they all are great places for me you know LA is home always will be home growing up there coming from Crenshaw I will always be a Dodger fan I was always a Dodger fan growing up but New York City that is my home I grew up in a, in a place where people maybe become a better player and they challenge you they stretch you they boo you and if you can't accept that you know that's that's just part of it you know either Either they're going to make you better or they're going to run you out of town. And I, I tell you, those those teams that I played with in New York and those days I played in New York, those fans made me a better player. Yeah, you really thrived. I mean, four rings, that's pretty good. Not too many players have won that many rings. And it's interesting to talk about some of your key influences in your life. Uh, your mother sounds like a, a wonderful woman. Uh, and obviously, Davey was a big influence and uh, your mother gave you some good advice. And Davey was a, a, a very instinctive, uh, very smart guy, good manager. One thing I thought that was interesting on the 30 for 30 uh, special, he didn't just say, I, I'm not, I don't worry about what guys do away from the field. He went as far as to say, I, I didn't worry about what guys did between innings. That, that, seemed a, that seemed a little strong to me between innings. And I know, you know, there's this legend of, uh, you know, picking out women in the, in the stands. And, you know, is there actually time to meet women during the game and relate to women during the game and then go back on the field? Well, I don't know what you said, between innings. I, don't, I wouldn't think there's time for that. But, I mean, is this just legend or was there actually this going on in this time? I know mean, the 80s were wild. I mean, I wasn't part of it, but, you know, I'm not a ball player. I don't know. Uh, did he mean that literally between innings? There was uh, stuff going on in the tunnel. 
<laughs> I'm quite sure he did because he knew the group of guys he had and the personality that they had. They were characters. We all were characters. And yeah. we had we had these strong, strong feelings about ourselves and just doing anything. And, and and that's just the way it was back in those days. It was the 80s, you know. You know, guys, guys see girls they like, and you know, in between innings, if they wasn't at bat, you know, maybe they just do whatever, have them meet them in the clubhouse and, and do whatever, you know, or it, it was just things, you know, it was just things that we all did. I did it, you know. I mean, I'm am I proud of it? No. I mean, it was just part of who we were, you know, it was just part of the 86, the 80s. You know, everything was wide open, fun, different. Wasn't no pressure. See, I think the pressure that they have today is different than we have because we don't have social. We didn't have social media back then. They have all these yeah. social media outlets and different things, you know, that people can, you know, catch them. Well, if we had social media back in the times that we were doing things, we all would have been caught. It would have been all over the Internet. And, <laughs> you know, it, it would have been a different feeling there. But we didn't have to worry about that. We knew one thing that we can get away with it and it happened you know it's just the way it was if you see baseball players you know i think a lot of times they kind of deny themselves of you know who they who they are you know there were some great ones you know really around the league that you respected highly like tony gwen your your dad tony gwen jr your father you know he was well respected you know because he had principles and everybody knew that carter was that you know he and you knew the guys certain guys that 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 was that way. They didn't drink alcohol. They drank milk. They didn't get caught up into you know drugs or anything like that. But when you get caught up into like taking amphetamines and greenies and wired and you plan, you're a different person. You act a different way, and that's what it was for us in the '80s. You couldn't get caught up to take a greenie, you know. And you know they, it was just you know it's just the way. So many guys are so wired. You know, not that they only was they wired to play, but they were wired looking at girls and all these other things that came along with us. And I, I was the same way. I was in the same boat with those guys. I mean, I was one of those guys that was wired all the time and just, you know, did things. And, and you just kind of laughed about it and you ran back out on the field and you just played the game. <laughs> well, you know, that's part of what made this a great documentary. Certainly winning the World Series helped, but uh, being, I'll say, colorful and uh, interesting certainly uh, added to it. You know, I have one, one final thing I want to ask you on a, on a different topic. We'll get, get back to straight baseball. Uh, you know, I mentioned your stats at the beginning, 138 OPS plus and 862 OPS. And then your last year, 99, with the Yankees, where you won your fourth ring, you had a 1,112 OPS. I mean, statistically, uh, this was your best year. I mean, you weren't a full-time player like you were the Mets, where you were the star guy that everybody looked to. Uh, but then you didn't play after that. I don't remember. Maybe it's just my memory. I don't know. Why did you stop playing then? Are you or had won four rings if you'd stayed with the Yankees for another year. You, you could have had a fifth ring and been part of the Subway Series, which, you know, you've been a natural for being a star for both teams. Uh, what what happened at that point? I, I, maybe I'm missing something. Well, that's a good point, you know, because I was suspended for baseball because I failed a drug uh, test for the third time. So, you know, th that was it. I was I done. Forgot. I suspended, suspended for a whole year, you know, and I couldn't stay clean. Uh, I couldn't stay clean to save my life, you know, and it, it, it was just part of the addiction that I was in. I was in a vicious cycle for a very long time and you know at one point I just wanted to I just was hoping that my life would be over you know and I could get away from it and get out of that circle cycle I mean not circle but that cycle of it and 
you know, it wasn't until my, my wife, who's my wife today, Tracy, she came into my life and she helped me. She helped me improve my life and helped me become a man and helped me straighten my life out and, and get on the uh, right road. And it was a long process, but um, she hung in there with me and, you know, we, we just, you know, we just came together and, and just lived a different life, you know, and, and, you know, I'm so grateful for her. I'm grateful for my mother because she, my mother was praying for me when I was lost and living a heathen life. And my wife, Tracy, was pulling me out of dope houses when I was lost and broken 19 years ago. And she's saying, God has a plan for your life. And, you know, I said, once you're in there, God, just leave me here and let me die. And she said, you're not that lucky. And, you know, <laughs> she just, <laughs> she just pulled me in and, and, it brought me to a whole different place. And then my life ended up being, you know, transformed and, and I became a different person. And I just, you know, today I just live a different way. And I'm, I'm just thankful for, you know, the grace that God had given me and the peace uh, that he has given me in my life and the things that I'm able to do today. That's so important to me. Well, it was a dumb question. My awesome. memory's not so good. And, and sometimes <laughs> dumb questions bring the best answers and really appreciate your time and your honesty. Uh, as far as I can see, you haven't changed a bit. You're still one of the nicest guys I ever covered, and I've really appreciated all these years. And, um, you know, I know you have regrets, and you felt like you could have done things differently or better. And uh, I think you're just a very introspective, and I think that's great that you can look back and, and say that. Not everybody can do that and, uh, you know, realize things that could have been done better or differently. But I, as far as I can tell, you've done everything great. So, and I appreciate your being with us. Uh, Daryl, it's been fantastic. And uh, uh, thank you so much. Thank you, Daryl. Well, thank, well, thank you guys. Thank you for your time, man. I really appreciate you guys and continue to do the great work that you're doing. All right. Thanks, Daryl. Thank you. All right. All right. All right. Was, thank you. That was Daryl Strawberry. Uh, all-time great Met and a great Yankee, four rings, and boy, what an honest guy and what a fantastic guy. I covered him for years with the Yankees. I'm sorry I missed those Mets years. They sound like a lot of fun, even to witness. I wouldn't have been part of that, but well, it sounds like a lot of fun. And anyway, thank you very much, Daryl. All right. Thanks, guys. Have a great day. You too. All right, thanks.